What is it? Well, we all know that populi means a time of being jolly, having a festive time of good cheer, and being of goodwill, at least for a day or two. Now that's a very superficial understanding. And of course there is a lot of artificiality and sentimentality around Christmas and far too little understanding of what the real Christmas spirit is. I'll define it this way. It is self-giving love in action as shown in the person of Jesus. So that spirit of self-giving love in action should have an impact not just on Christmas Day or Boxing Day, but throughout the year. And Paul, the Apostle, calls for that kind of love in a very specific context. I, I won't go into all of that, but simply to say that he's asking the church in Corinth to be generous, just like the churches in Macedonia who brought together funds for relief of the poor in Jerusalem, and he said they did that in spite of great affliction. They were in deep trouble themselves, yet they wanted to contribute to the poor in Jerusalem and to support the church in Corinth to do likewise. Paul calls for love in action by pointing to the person of Jesus. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And that, that's the meaning of Christmas. Christ's poverty for the believer's riches. Now in what way was Jesus rich? I think it's graphically described and I can't think of any better passage than in John chapter 1. Words you know well. In the beginning was the Word. That points to the fact that He's eternal. Before anything was, He was. From eternity. And the Word was with God. And that shows He's a real person that together with the Father and the Holy Spirit they had perfect communion within the Godhead, the Trin Trinitarian Godhead. He was with God and the Word was God. And that shows his deity. The fact that he is God. Now can you imagine just from these few words greater riches that anyone could have than the power, the majesty and the rich communion of the Son of God living in the splendor of heaven. And I dare say, no, you can't imagine it. It's unimaginable for us. And these words are followed a few verses later by this. And the Word, the Word stands for Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the more you think about it, 
the more incomprehensible it is. Charles Wesley put it in this way. Our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. It's no wonder that for many people this is a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block for Jews, for Muslims, for secular people, but also for many Christians. They say that they, they can't believe all this. It's fine to celebrate Christmas, but, but don't come to me with the, the miracles and uh, the virgin birth and resurrection that does, doesn't enter the mind. Well, you see, if people would only accept that a baby born in Bethlehem was both God and man, many objections would disappear. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, if he is the God-man, then why should miracles or, or power or healing or resurrection be any problem? Paul expresses the mystery in this way. Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Or again, you know, I often refer to, to hymns, poetry, because they often express mystery so well. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Emptied himself? What did he empty himself of? There are all sorts of understandings about this. And some people say, well, he emptied himself. He, he ceased being God. And maybe at the resurrection he took it up again. There are all kinds of theories about this. He emptied himself. Did he empty himself of his divine nature, his deity? Did he divest himself of his, of his wisdom and power and so on? Did he get rid of the, all these wonderful... Uh, God-like attributes? Of course not. It's impossible. He doesn't cease being God. He adds humanity. Yes. So what did he let go? What did he empty himself of but of his divine glory and, if you like, dignity? Became a form of a servant. Now we all know the story. He was despised and rejected of men. He accepted suffering willingly. He accepted isolation, scorn, shame, spitting in the face, and finally, death on a cross. Why? To bleed for Adam's helpless race. That's why he came. He came to die. Already in Bethlehem we see the shadow of the cross looming large. And it's on Calvary that our riches are secured. And our text says it so clearly that you through his poverty might become rich. And that poverty is not material. 
I dare say that Jesus and his family, having a trade as a carpenter, would have been no worse off than most people in their day, and maybe even better off. That's not the point here. It's the poverty of having divested himself of, of his glory for our sakes. As again the hymn puts it so beautifully, we sang it earlier. Dear Lord Jesus, God and mortal, who adopts our earthly state, may I grow through your example, may your smallness make me great. Make me strong with gentle fingers, wise through your simplicity. Make me rich through your privation. May your bondage set me free. May your sorrow make me joyful. May your death give life to me. What an exchange. The riches of Christ obtained for us is salvation. It is forgiveness. It is acceptance by, by God because Jesus the curse of sin on himself. So friends, congregation, whatever the trials of life we face, we can be rich through his acceptance, through his mercy and grace. And the wonder of grace should result, as I said earlier, in gracious, self-giving love towards others. That is the real Christmas spirit. And it may also be the test of whether we are among the favoured of God. So how do you respond? Because when faced with Jesus, we have to make a choice. For or against. Accept him as the son of God, who he said he was. Before Abraham was, I am. And many such instances in the New Testament which clearly indicates Jesus identified as the Son of God. Do we accept his witness? Do we accept his testimony? Or simply ignore it? I want to just br briefly point to four responses. And again, not exhaustively, I'm not intending to keep you here for a long time because I know you have all wonderful plans for today and that's great. But just four responses. First, the religious leaders. You recall when Herod asked where was the Messiah to be born? No problem. They had theology and the Bible in their head. Micah 5 verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And so they, they quote a chapter and verse. And, and then they, they all got together and they ran to Bethlehem to find this Messiah. No, they did not. They did not. Scripture doesn't say anything about it. It seems they did nothing. They were the kind of people who know, they know what the Bible demands from us. They have it, 
the theology in their heads, but they were the kind of people that when they saw a person bashed up, lying on the side of the road, they'd walk by on the other side because they did not want to have anything to do with such a person who would make them unholy as well. So there's no Christmas spirit with the religious leaders. I, I call their reaction cold indifference. Now compare that to the wise men, probably astrologers, uh, priests from the Persian kingdom. And again, you know, we have to be aware in that uh, when, for example, Daniel was in Babylon, uh, a lot was known about the, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and the expectation of a king. So uh, there were Jews in those regions. And here they are, following a star. Their response was one of what I call searching interest. They were interested in finding this newborn king in order to worship him. That's the Christmas spirit. Now if someone here this morning or listening is searching like the wise men did, perhaps happy to join in the festivities but not quite sure what to make of this virgin birth and a guiding star and a person who claimed to be God. To you I would say, be open-minded. Keep searching. Follow the gospel story. And when you discover the child of Bethlehem as the saviour of the world, then submit and worship him. And then there was Herod the king. What a monster. Who killed many of his own family. Paranoid about retaining power. Self-preservation. That was his key. And anyone who stood in the way. They'd simply get liquidated. That's a nice word for killing somebody. And when he heard of the birth of the king of the Jews... He reacted with murderous intent to get rid of him by killing all the boys two years and under. Too many people today consider Jesus like a rival, if not a nuisance, who asks us to submit to his rule. He interferes with our life. And we don't want that. So, at best we ignore him. If there's anyone like that here, I would say what Jesus said to the Jews of those days. When Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh Jerusalem, if you only knew what makes for peace. God visited them. They ignored it. And Jesus said, if only you knew where the only peace is to be found. If only you knew, you'd make a different choice. And then there were the shepherds. They were the first to hear the message that the long-awaited Messiah had been born. And their response, I call it, they were wonderfully inspired. 
they hurried off to Bethlehem and found that the message of the angel was true. They spread the word, Scripture says. They returned to their daily lives, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard. So a new spirit was in them, which transformed their lives. And before long, we go back to our daily lives. Will the Christmas spirit survive? Will we be enriched through Jesus' poverty so that our lives too will be inspired, transformed, growing in grace and in goodness? The Christmas spirit is the spirit of our Master Jesus living on the basic principle of loving others, giving time, attention and care. And so in the light of these four responses, the hymn writer asks, O Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you aright? And then he asks, O Lord, O kindle Lord most holy, your lamp within my breast to do in spirit lowly all that may please you best. And isn't that the essence of loving God? To do what pleases Him best? And then to allow that, that, that love for God to spill over into our love for others. Family friends, neighbors, workmates, and so on. And we do this because God has given us His best, His one and only Son, and given us the riches of faith and hope and love. The greatest gift that anyone could wish for. Let us give thanks to the one who is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Shall we pray? God and Father of our Lord Jesus, you've sent your Son to be light in the midst of darkness, hope in the face of threats and peace amid so much trouble and tension. In your word we have seen him and we know that your promises are true. So we pray that you'll send us from here, from this gathering this morning, to live in hope and enjoy and in peace until we gather again in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.